Good morning. It's 8.06. You're listening to the Local News Hour on KPCW. I'm Michelle Dininger with you this morning on your Thursday, February 16th. It is very chilly. We're going to hear some more about that from meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Michelle. And I think that's uh, putting it a little bit lightly. It's a little cold out there this morning. <laughs> My car said yeah. negative eight. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> That's brutal. And what that can't tell you is the wind chill, because the wind chill in a lot of spots this morning, starting off below zero, especially in the high country and the Wasatch back included in that. The winds aren't going to be as strong today compared to what we saw yesterday, but any small puff of wind is just going to make it feel colder throughout the day. And in Park City, the daytime high only climbing to 26 degrees. At least it will come with mostly sunny to partly cloudy skies, and that's because high pressure is building in. But because we're on the east side of the high pressure, those winds are going to be out of the north, and that's what's going to cause those temperatures to be about 10 degrees below average in Park City for today. Then into tonight, we turn frigid once again, mostly clear skies. The overnight low dropping to 10 degrees. We could see wind chill values maybe just a little bit below zero once again. Temperatures will moderate as we go into the end of the work week and through the first portion of the weekend at least with that high pressure moving more from west to east that will result in more of a southerly flow and tomorrow with mostly sunny skies we actually should see a daytime high very close to our seasonal average in park city climbing to 37 degrees and then the overnight low on friday night dropping to 16 we'll see a little bit more cloud coverage on saturday the daytime high will continue to be mainly in the mid 30s then cloud coverage will pick up a little bit more going into sunday forecast models indicating that a weak disturbance will come in from our north we'll see increased winds more cloud coverage and at least a 20 percent chance for some mainly light snow showers between Saturday night and during the day on Sunday. And then as we go into President's Day through the middle of next week, forecast models very optimistic that we're going to be moving into a much more active pattern. So on Monday in Park City, a chance of snow. Snow becomes more likely on Tuesday. The daytime highs will also start to trend downward. So we'll keep mainly mid-30s through Monday. Then those daytime highs dropping into the low 20s. 30s on Tuesday and then into the mid and upper 20s on Wednesday. But from Tuesday into Wednesday at this point, snow looking pretty likely. And if the forecast models hold, we actually could see some pretty decent accumulation. So we'll fine tune that forecast as we get a little bit closer, Michelle. Well, thanks. That sounds good for everybody who is out of school next week and planning to ski and snowboard. Yeah, might be a great day to do so for sure. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Joining me now on the phone is Drew from Utah Avalanche Center. Good morning. Hey, good morning. I, I got to admit, it was a it was a struggle of a forecast um, for the backcountry <laughs> avalanche scene um, this morning. <clears throat> you know, the northeast winds were um, were significant and strong yesterday. Uh, you know, from Ogden all the way down to Provo, and certainly along the as probably many people saw over on the Park City Ridge Line and in Park City proper, um, the um, those winds did quite a bit of drifting and eroding of snow and. And it translated to some pockets of wind slab um, at many aspects and elevations. I mean, even the lower elevations were tormented by the stronger winds. I do think that most of these slabs of snow have settled out uh, overnight, um, particularly with the colder temperatures. But I saw I just can't drop it to low danger this morning. I. I, maybe I'm just getting old and cautious in my old age, but you sound I reluctant. Uh, <laughs> I guess if I were heading out, I mean it's an office day for me, but if I were headed out into the backcountry, I would on any steep rollover or bit of steep terrain, I would anticipate that I might trigger a, a 
a lingering slab of, of windblown snow. And I, I think it's so spotty and pockety. I don't think you can make one correlation and say, oh, you know, this this went fine. And so the next slope will go fine as well. I You got to have a little bit of caution out there. So I guess what that boils down to is what I would call pockets of moderate danger at the mid and upper elevations on many aspects, you know. Um, but I think we'll trend towards low by the by the afternoon, and we'll certainly be low tomorrow and probably into early Saturday as well. All right. Well, thanks. I think we're all hearing what you're communicating to us, and everybody stay safe out there. Yep. Great. Have a good day. Thanks. All right. You too. At its meeting tonight, the Park City Council is going to get an update on public transit. It'll discuss water rate increases and may approve a new study for the city-owned land in Bonanza Park that people have been calling the Arts and Culture District. KPCW's Parker Malatesta has this preview of this evening's meeting. The Transportation Department will give a midwinter update on public transit use, which is approaching pre-pandemic levels. The department is also looking for direction from the council on whether to launch a year-round bus route from the Richardson Flat Park and Ride during rush hour. Transportation staff will also discuss new data on parking with the council. The number of parking tickets issued in residential areas has more than doubled in January and February compared to the last two years. Deputy City Manager Sarah Pierce said that's a result of increased enforcement. Up for approval later in the meeting is the purchase of 15 new electric buses. Park City would pay just under $3 million, with most of the cost being covered by federal grants. Eight of the buses will be transferred to High Valley Transit, which is Summit County's transportation arm. The council is also going to talk about how the city bills people for the water they use. City manager Matt Dias said the goal is to encourage people to conserve. You know, all customers actually will, will hopefully experience a change, and that's generally customers with low water use may see an actual decrease in cost, and customers with a high water use will see an increase in cost. The largest fee increases would be for commercial users who account for about a third of Park City's water use. The council could also approve a new interlocal agreement with Basin Recreation outlining funding for the Park City Ice Arena. Basin Rec has agreed to pay an additional $16,000 annually, but it rejected the city's request for a one-time payment of $275,000 for upgrades. The Ice Arena is currently going through an assessment to determine what maintenance and replacements are needed most. Later, the council could vote to approve a contract with planning firm MKSK to conduct a study on city-owned land in Bonanza Park that had been envisioned as an arts and culture district. It would be part of the new general plan being crafted for the entire Bonanza Park neighborhood. A previous study on the district was done in 2017, but plans were eventually scrapped amid concerns with the price tag. The city council expressed interest in going back to the drawing board at its retreat last fall, given that some community values may have changed since the pandemic. The meeting Thursday begins at 3 p.m. in council chambers at the Marsac building. The agenda and a link to attend virtually can be found in the online version of this report at kpcw.org. Parker Malatesta, KPCW News. I've got Chris Robinson on the phone from Summit County Council. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Thanks for calling in. How late did last night's meeting go? Not not too late. We I think we were out of there by 7. So it was good. Okay, that is that is good considering everything that was planned for discussion. You had allotted an hour for discussion of HTRZs and then you heard news of 
new legislation working its way through the state that could affect Dakota Pacific's efforts to build in Kimball Junction, and, and it could also affect any conversation you're having about HTRZ. So what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the HTRZ conversation or the legislation? Well, they're somewhat related. Um, the HTRZ conversation was we invited Brian Bacon, Baker from Zions Bank Public Finance uh, Department, which has been, Brian has been the county's financial advisor for 15 years. And we asked him to give us a primer on how an HTRZ works. I mean, we've had previous encounters with others trying to explain them, but we have new council members and then there's been changes uh, to the law from last year's session. And so um, basically what uh, is happening is that the last year the legislature created passed a bill that created a requirement on political subdivisions to have a moderate income housing plan and that was what's called house bill 462 that passed in the 2022 general session and in specific it required Certain, a certain county of the third class that has a rural transit district to uh, include as one of its strategies an HTRZ uh, uh, housing, uh, what that, that strategy is one of them. And we had to file for, uh, uh, file our moderate income housing plan by October 1st of last year, which we did. And we included an HTRZ as a strategy. In that bill also, there was um, a requirement that we filed by December 31st an HTRZ plan of last year. So earlier in the week, House Bill 446, sponsored by Representative Casey Snyder from Cash Valley, uh, created uh, basically a penalty for any county not uh, that, that met that qualification, which was were the only one, uh, that uh, because we didn't file one on time. Chris, you cut out. Oh, you're back. To the owners of land within a third mile radius of uh, a transit district or a transit uh, hub. Chris, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Uh, you cut out for a minute right when you were kind of getting into some crucial detail. You, you said I was, penalty. I was just saying that the, the penalty in this proposed bill, uh, HB 446, was that basically an owner of undeveloped land within a one-third mile radius of a transit center would be granted the density that they would have got had there been an HTRZ created, which is, I believe, 39 to 49 residential units per acre. And so uh, that was Monday. And then yesterday, we got word that there was another bill, I believe it's Senate Bill 84, that had been uh, sponsored by Wayne Harper that had been uh, passed by 
the Senate, and it dealt with HTRZ, and it went over to the House, and the House folded HB 446 language into that bill, uh, the Harper bill, let's call it, uh, and it was approved by the House 71 to 0 yesterday. So basically HB 446 is no longer, it's part of Senate Bill 84, which now goes back to the Senate because it's been changed, and the Senate has to decide whether or not it will approve it. And uh, if it's if it's approved, then in effect that House Bill 446 is approved because it's part of this Senate bill. And so um, that's uh, that's how they're related. And and the um, catalyst for this was, uh, you know, it's basically a maneuver by the legislature to take away our ability to locally uh, oversee land use in our county. Well, it raises a lot of specific on this project. So Casey Snyder from Cache Valley, that's hundreds of miles south of here down by Arches National Park. What does... No, no, it, it's, this is Logan. Oh, Logan. Okay, okay. Cache um, Valley. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So is there any evidence that legislators are working with Dakota Pacific? It looked as though the bill borrowed some components to Deco- from Dakota Pacific's development proposal. Yeah. It, oh, it's... There's no... the. Dakota Pacific and its lobbyists have been working on this strategy, you know, for a very long time, it appears to us. This is very specific. And, and what the county is, the county is going to continue to, to do its job and process the, the land use application that we have before us, Dakota Pacific, is, as you may recall, there was a hearing in December of 2021 at, at which there was great groundswell of public opposition to the event, to the event plan. And uh, then there was going to, they, they wanted to submit another plan, which they waited until October of last year to submit together with the revised traffic study. And we had told them we were going to do a peer review of that study, which we completed about the 1st of February of this year. And then we had a meeting a week or two ago where we went over the traffic study. But that timeline, there was no way we could have created an HTRZ plan and submitted it to the to the state by December 31st because that would have meant that we had agreed on a land use plan with Dakota Pacific and we just got it in October and we were studying the traffic study. So we were sort of set up uh, for failure there. But um, this seems like it raises a lot of legal questions. But before we even get to that, the fact that it passed with no, no votes, all of our representatives voted yes on it seems like it would indicate it will be passing the Senate. Do we have any uh, indication about what Governor Cox may do when it gets to his desk? Uh, no, I mean, uh, it's a little perplexing as to why not a single nay vote. It, it may be a situation where uh, it got folded in very quickly and um, 
and voted in, in mass. I mean, uh, not even our representatives that were aware of it voted against it, not a single vote. So, um, you know, I, I, the next time around in the Senate, I think it'll, it'll at least have more attention. But whether or not it will, whether or not we'll be able to secure enough votes to defeat it, it, it that remains to be seen, of course. And what the governor does remains to be seen. Right. So we and I and I don't know whether, uh, I mean, a, a veto-proof majority uh, seems likely if, at least in the House, unless uh, if vetoed, it would then have to go back to the House, or whether an initial uh, unanimous vote of those voting is sufficient. To, I don't. I don't know how that works. So last year, our representatives voted no on. HB 462, correct? I believe so. And so we were looking at the bill tracker yesterday, and it looked like the language got folded in, and I could be wrong, but it looked like it was only about five minutes before the vote, which, if that was the case, does it seem like a possibility to you that our own representatives did not know what they were voting on yesterday? Well, that's that's what I was saying. I mean, I don't think that... Uh, it, it, it's hard to get unanimity on anything and on the time of day. I, <laughs> I, um, I don't, it, it's just very odd and it happened. We learned about it, you know, yesterday, uh, shortly after it happened. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of things that, uh, that can happen down there. Roger Armstrong told KPCW yesterday that he thinks it's likely illegal. Um, what's the county's plan, to the extent you've put one together so far, um, for what happens next if this gets passed into law? I'm not going to speculate on any kind of a, uh, a strategy beyond that we're going to continue to process their application uh, and take it to a logical conclusion. And if we've set up a work session for next Wednesday, uh, two public hearings, and then we'll see, uh, beyond that each of the following Wednesdays, and we'll see where it goes as far as if and when it gets signed into law and what uh, legal steps are taken. I'm not going to comment. Sure. And for people listening who don't follow the legislature closely and, and might have a hard time following some of the intricacies of the language, it, it boils down to this bill, if law could mandate development of Dakota Pacific at Kimball Junction without the county's approval or consent. Yeah, the, the, the challenge to that, of course, is that uh, this piece of property is, is not just a a, a, a virgin, I mean, it's undeveloped, that's not the right word. It, it's not an unentitled property. It has a, a validly existing and bona fide development agreement. And so this legislation would basically be breaking that development agreement. And that, uh, you know, that's uh, somewhat unprecedented. But uh, the, the legal ramifications of that, if that were to happen, will, will lead for another day. Sure. Yeah, we're going to watch um, what happens to it today in the Senate and then see what happens next. And then obviously we'll, we'll hear from the county council after that.
And we'll also try to reach our representatives and, and have them explain their, their votes on it. Was there anything else related to the legislature that you want people to be aware of? Well, the, um, I, I think uh, the legislature, at least leadership, is uh, taking a pretty dim view of Summit County these days. And so it, 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 these sorts of things can't happen without uh, broad support at the top. And uh, it affects lots of other things that we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and so uh, it's broad sweeping in this animus. Why do they take a dim view of Summit County? Oh, it's, um, you know, I think there's some aftertaste from Hideout um, where, you know, we stood our ground and and, uh, and defended ourselves and some of what was uh, trying to be accomplished there was done with, you know, I mean, it was done tr tr trying to do a similar kind of thing where seek, seek, uh, power from the legislature to do what landowners or developers wanted. It's also coming at a time when there's, uh, you know, the old saying, let no crisis go to waste, but we have a water crisis and now money's flowing into the Great Salt Lake like none other, which I'm, you know, I'm in favor of saving the lake, but it's, uh, it's now the topic de jure, de jure. Affordable housing is a war cry, and the, the notion that local jurisdictions are preventing affordable housing and that the uh, in Summit County's uh, difficult to, you know, is not cooperating. And the, the thing that I think that separates us is we're very unique in as much that any market rate housing in our county, especially on the west side, is going to be out of reach for the workforce. It's it, whereas in other parts of the state, if you increase supply, that may make it, it more affordable, more within reach. In our county, the, you know, the, the market rate housing, whether it's for rent or for sale, is extremely expensive. So the, the model of just increasing supply won't work. But we're, we're viewed as uh, not playing along, I guess, in that way. And uh, I, I think, you know, we, ha we have an economic engine that is our brand and that... Uh, is our quality of life and more market rate housing doesn't result in more affordable housing. So I, I think there's a, there's a real push statewide to uh, affect, to, to get local government out of the way of, of more housing and or an easy target, um, but what, a misunderstood target. All right, that's that could potentially lead into a whole other conversation for another day. But uh, before we go, is there anything else you wanted to bring up briefly? Um, I mean, we did other things at the meeting, but I, I think this is the most important stuff. 
All right. Well, thank you for that. And we will keep our eye on the bill today and be checking in with you on it very soon. Thanks very much. Have a good day. You too. That was Summit County Councilman Chris Robinson. Joining me now in the studio on this very cold morning, Cami Richardson, Joe Uranker, and Virginia Solomon. Thanks, everybody, for coming in. Good Thanks morning. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning. All right. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of events coming up. You're going to preview events going on that are part of the fourth annual Queer Ski. It's a Winter Pride in the Mountains series of events. It runs February 21st to 25th, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. And this is the second year that Queer Ski is going to be a benefit in support of the Park City LGBTQ Plus Task Force. We're right? really excited about that. I, so we're going to talk about specific events, but first let's briefly explain the task force's purpose. Who wants to take that one? Maybe Virginia, because you're going to be talking about the Meet the Task Force event? Yeah, absolutely. So we're an organization that exists to... Uh, what. Uh, I forget other than enliven what our official catchphrase is. Uh, to create, maintain, and enliven inclusivity. And make the Wasatch Back a place where all people feel like they belong. And so how long has the task force been together? So it was a group that initially was brought together by the city in winter of uh, 2020, and then we started operating as a larger body in the spring of 2021. And so then last year's Queer Ski event was the first one to benefit. Yeah, um, the event was something that I produced just for my friends because there is a gay ski week that comes into town and most of the stuff they produce is on Main Street and late night and we're like, well, it's a ski week, so let's go do something on the mountain. And then the task force started getting up and running and we said, well, why don't we just take this party and turn it into a fundraiser? So now, it, now it's a fundraiser and now it's getting even bigger. And so how big were the events um, and then let's talk about what you're expecting for this year, too. I mean, year one was 40 people at the Viking Yurt, so... That's fun. It, it was a great time. There's something special about taking over a space that small. But now we're over at um, Snowden. That event has continued through as a lunch on Saturday. Um, and we're just trying to open up to the, the whole community. So you've got five days of events planned, and I noticed at least one of them was sold out, which is a good sign, right? People are buying tickets and... Yeah, there, I think there's been a lot of interest, and you know, there's about uh, context for those listening. There's about a thousand people that come into town for Gay Ski Week. Um, and there's the, what we're doing with Queer Ski, these events, is to, to integrate better into the local community and culture. And um, so I think there's been a tremendous interest from some of the tourists saying, it's, it's lovely to have this chance to get to know Park City and to see a different side of it. All right, Cammy, let's, let's bring you in. Which, which part of the five day of events would you like to tell us about? Great, thanks. Um, I'm gonna talk about our first annual LGBTQ Pride Ski Parade, which is extremely exciting. We're gonna initially um, get together at about 8.30 at the bottom of Crescent Chair, uh, and then do some skiing in the morning, maybe take a break at some point, probably down at Miner's Camp, kind of try to regroup and get more people involved. And then we'll start to head up to McConkie's Chair, where at the top of McConkie's, we'll all get together at around noon or earlier. Um, we'll be giving out some flags and things like that for people to to ski with, and then we're gonna head down Georgiana, ultimately 
past McConkie's and head down all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, or actually not to the bottom, but really to um, the Snowed Inn. Um, so it should be a fun, fun event. Um, last year, uh, we didn't really do anything like that, so this will be fun to implement this this year. Um, I also wanted to add that the Snowed Inn last year was just so much fun. Um, Joe organized that for us, and uh, we had a great turnout. We had some drag dancers up on the patio, which was really a blast. As people went by on the Crescent Chair, they were kind of like, what is going on? It was fun. Excellent. And then there's also the Pride Ride Saturday, starting at Jupiter Peak at the top? No, actually, that's changed to McConkie's now. Oh, that's so, the one you were yeah. talking about. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was previously Jupiter. Not everybody can go to the top of Jupiter. That's exactly why it's been changed to McConkie's, because at least from McConkie's down, there is a blue trail, and then we can head to some greens if necessary. Okay. All right. Do you have other specific events that you want to talk about before I get into some more broader questions about it? Sure. Um, we are also opening up a, a first tracks on Tuesday. That's the one that you mentioned, Michelle, that sold out. But we're working with a mountain to see if we can open a few more slots for that. So I just wanted to tell everyone to stay tuned if they're interested. And that's that's getting up onto the lifts at uh, 8 a.m. before it opens to the public. So that should be a really fun way just to, to see and experience the mountain. And then we'll have breakfast afterwards. Um, how many tickets did you sell for the first tracks event? Um, I believe we sold 20. We kept it a little smaller this year. We might be able to up that. And if we do, then, then we just open up a lift and it's a total free ride to explore the mountain. And that's why you need to get the mountain coordinated because they need to have the staff to, to take care of you on the lifts. Exactly. Yeah. I do want to add that Park City Mountain really has come through for us this year. Um, they've been jazzed about having this event with us and combining with us. And it's truly starting to show their inclusivity in the area with the LGBTQ plus community. So it's exciting. <clears throat> so the money that you're raising is, according to the Queerski website, for the Wasatch Back community, what kinds of projects or, or things do you do you want to do as you raise money? So that's something that folks can come and hear about at our Meet the Task Force event that's happening on Thursday at 5 p.m. at the old Zoom location at the corner of uh, Main Street and, and Heber, um, where we'll, uh, kind of in conjunction with the Community Foundation, in part because of the uh, Community Fund grant that we received with extra um, uh, Deer Valley threw some some money in there for us as well. We'll be talking about the events that we did last year and then some of the things that we'll be planning for this year. Um, our June Pride events that we have planned, uh, an extension of the Living Library program that we did last year, and then just generally expanding the kinds of things that the task force is doing. More social events, more informal casual meetups like the ski events that Cami's been hosting, um, kind of mentorship opportunities, things like that. So folks can come at five on Thursday to the old Zoom location and hear more about that. All right, and let's take a quick minute to explain to people. Some of these events are probably not for younger people. Are any of them 21 and over or are they all for everybody? Um, they're all for everybody in the sense that everyone is welcome. Um, we didn't specifically design um, like a family event this year. It's something we could grow into, but I would say the parade that Cam is going to lead is probably the most family friendly. And I, I think knowing our communities and people will 
definitely show up in outfits and costumes and, and make that a fun time. So um, I, w- I would direct families towards that one. And then um, we'll put our thinking cap on for next year. Yeah, I'll bet there's a bunch of teenagers who are going to want to join in on that. Jay's going to be in town? He's away at college. He's going to miss it. He's going to enjoy seeing the pictures. So uh, let's talk briefly about the dance. I don't think we touched on that yet, right? Yeah, so on Friday, um, we've been allowed to take over the Umbrella Bar for the day. Um, We're bringing in some DJs and broadcasting to our community, and we're going to take an opry ski from 1 to 4 and turn it into something that our community calls a tea dance. Um, and, and just hang out in the sun and have a good time. So what does tea dance refer to? Oh, how, how much longer do we have on the segment? Oh, a few minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so tea dances are, are something that grew out of um, gay culture in, in destination towns. So there's a few places throughout the country that um, the, the gay community retreats to over the summer, and they're mostly beach destinations. And um, a, a tea dance is... It's, it's kind of like a, a meet and greet, basically. It's just a chance for us to get together with some good music. It's usually in the afternoon on a beach or by a pool. And um, they're, they're very fun. They're very free and joyous events. I, I think the community sometimes gets questions and, and sometimes there are even criticisms. Why? Why queer ski? Do you want to talk about that? Why you decide to do it? Because it's fun and we want to. Um, I, I think that inclusivity is, is about more than just the, you know, the lectures and the trainings and the politics. It's just about being humans together. And I think events like this and that specifically hold space for different cultural groups um, uh, help us to, to live up to the values that we have as a town. Because I think that uh, why Park City is, why is it necessary? There's uh, been some prevailing monoculturalism in town for a long time. So um, I think that by, by having events like this, we can demonstrate and just invite more cultural groups to, to be here and, and show that, the, that their presence is additive, not, you know, it's not a competition. Plenty of snow for everybody. And fun isn't pie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for people who want to see the schedule and get the, the most current information, is there a URL you want to share? Queerski.com. Okay. Anything else that we haven't talked about? Well, just a reminder that yeah, Park City Mountain Village does require car reservations. So if you are thinking of coming, um, there are other alternatives. There's a great new bus system from Richardson Flats and from the high school in different places. But if you want to park at the resort, Make sure you make a reservation in advance. That's key. And if you want to get in touch with the task force, our email address is lgbtqia at parkcity.org. How many people are in the task force, roughly? 35-ish right now um, is, you know, the current membership. And, um, you know, people get involved in different ways. And um, I think it's been really helpful for the community to, to have a presence and the, um, you know, the municipal government of Park City definitely endorses us and supports us, and it's great to be working with them. You're growing. You want more members? Oh, yeah. Always. Everybody's welcome. It's basically a, re- a revolving door. You know, we, we're open house. Anyone who wants to come in and be part of the group is, is always welcome. 
And then there's a there's a Wasatch County group too, right? Do you guys work together? That's not um, <clears throat> kind of the same thing we're doing, and they're kind of on a smaller scale. But we certainly will, will work with them and have worked with them on combined events like the Fourth of July parade. A lot of them showed up this past year, so. We look for anybody to join us. Any ally that's a friend of ours, please feel free to come in and be part of the group. We welcome all. All right. Thank you all. Anything else or do we cover it? Thanks, Michelle. We covered it. Thanks, all Michelle. Right. Happy skiing. You too. Have a great day. Thank Bye you. Now. Thanks for coming in. That was Cami Richardson, Joe Uranker, and Virginia Solomon from Park City's LGBTQ Plus Task Force. A Heber City man who pled guilty to manslaughter for the death of a seven-year-old girl is going to serve prison time. Here's KPCW reporter Ben Lassiter. After spending over 600 days in jail since firing a gun through a wall and killing seven-year-old Zai Rodriguez Irizarry, Christopher O'Connell was sentenced Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, Judge Jennifer Maybe gave him at least one year and up to 15 years in state prison. He pled guilty to second-degree manslaughter in December on a plea deal and one to 15 years is the full possible range for second-degree felonies outlined in Utah code. Maybe recommended he receive credit for time he has already served in the Wasatch County Jail. According to O'Connell's attorney, Jeannie Campbell, and prosecutor Case Wade, cases like O'Connell's often result in about nine years in prison. That's according to a sentencing matrix the board that will decide how long he stays could follow. The Utah Board of Pardons and Parole will make that decision during a future hearing that hasn't been scheduled yet. The sentencing hearing included more than an hour of testimony. After Campbell and Wade, O'Connell and his parents spoke emotionally. Maybe called her decision difficult and was also visibly emotional as she delivered it. O'Connell recalled regularly seeing the young girl, who was his next-door neighbor before her death on July 10, 2021. He said he's lived with remorse and survivor's guilt since taking her life. He said he didn't realize his gun was loaded when he shot it through the wall where the girl was sleeping, nor did he know she died until a detective told him later that night. Campbell asked maybe to consider a sentence of probation with no time served. That's because O'Connell didn't know the gun was loaded. He already served nearly two years in jail, and no sentence could bring the girl back. Campbell also later told KPCW she didn't expect O'Connell to appeal the decision. I think she made a very well-reasoned decision. Unless there was some way of showing this was cruel and unusual punishment, which I don't think it is. He was given a fairly decent offer, and so I think she made the best decision she could under the circumstances. She speculated the earliest O'Connell could be released is in four years, based on his behavior and factors such as how crowded the prison is. In Utah, only the Board of Pardons and Parole decides when a prisoner is released, according to a spokesperson with the Department of Corrections. During the hearing, Wade argued any prison sentence less than nine years would be inappropriate. He said to let O'Connell off without serving significant time would send a message to local residents that they aren't safe in their homes and to society that the justice system doesn't take gun violence cases seriously. Campbell said O'Connell will remain in the county jail until he's transferred to the new prison near the Salt Lake City Airport. She expected that to happen next week. If it's overcrowded there, she said he could end up in the prison in Gunnison. Ben Lassiter, KPCW News. Let's get into some more local news right now. The 26th Annual Leadership 101 is back to an in-person format. It is a day-long program for those who want to know how things work in Summit County. KPCW's Leslie Thatcher has more on that. 
Whether you've been here a year or a decade, Leadership Park City founder Miles Rademan says you'll get something from the program. It'll be held at the Blair Education Center at Park City Hospital from 8.30 to 4 and is open to anyone in the community. This is an attempt to take the leadership program to the whole community. So if you've been here a week or you've been here 30 years, you're going to learn something probably that you hadn't heard before, or at least you're going to piece it together. In one day, you're going to get a pretty broad swath of who's doing what in the community. Not, not everyone, but you know a lot of the projects that are going on, some of the opposition to those projects, what the school board is doing, what the chamber is doing, what the real estate look like. It's a potpourri, really. It's, it's a broad brush but it's um, comprehensive. There's a $50 fee to attend to pay for lunch and refreshments. Registration is online at parkcity.org. You can find a link to register in the web version of this report at kpcw.org. Raderman says creating leaders contributes to making change in communities. The key to the whole thing is creating a web of relationships. So when we talk about community, it means you have to have people gather together. And that's really the whole resin did for the for the program is just to bring people together people who have a, a deep-seated interest in what's going on here introduce them to each other and network with each other and save the date Raderman says the annual leadership community lecture is set for march 20th at the santee auditorium with the coo of park city mountain resort deidre walsh coo of deer valley todd bennett nathan rafferty of ski utah and ralph garrison a destination travel industry veteran Leslie Thatcher, KPCW News. Joining me now on the phone is Park City Film Director Katie Wang. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for calling in. So looking at your upcoming schedule, there is a common theme. Let's talk Academy Awards. Yes, we are in uh, the highlight of the year outside of the Sundance Film Festival. I know that's the highlight for, <laughs> for our town and yes. certainly film loves around the world. But as we start heading towards uh, the Academy Awards, movie theaters in general, and certainly Park City Film is no different, like to bring in some of the nominees so that folks have a chance to catch them on the big screen, fill out their Oscar ballots, um, and then of course see who the eventual award winners are. So we have a great lineup coming up as we lead up into the Academy Awards, which are in March this year, starting this weekend. And this film was actually not nominated, but it should have been in my personal opinion. Um, but this weekend's film is the newest film from uh, Hirokazu Okureda, who brought us the brilliant from Shoplifters a few years ago. Um, it won two awards at the Cannes International Film Festival in France last summer. Um, and this is a film about found families that are are bound together by fate and circumstance rather than by blood, um, which is a common theme in, in his films. And this story follows two friends who are take orphaned babies from a church's baby box to sell in the black market until one day one of the mothers returns and insists on accompanying them on their journey to find a new family for her son. Um, this was a film that at premiered at the Telluride Film Festival when I was there um, over Labor Day, and you could not get a seat for love or money. You know, it was just packed. Every single screening was sold out. So I've been anxiously awaiting to see this film and bring it to our community. So super excited about that. So the director's last film, or the one you're mentioning, was Shoplifters, but this new one, what's the title of the new one? Uh, sorry, it's called Broker. Broker, okay. Yes, yep, sorry. Bury the lead there, as you say, in your, your biz. Yes. <laughs> so Broker this weekend. Um, and then we'll follow that up with a film that's been nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Picture, which is Women Talking, also a, fa a favorite at Telluride. And this is Sarah Pauly's latest film with an all-star cast. It has Frances McDormand, Claire Foy, Rudy Mara. It has been 
making waves throughout the independent film festival circuits. Um, and this is based on a true story, actually, about women in an isolated religious community who must decide how they will deal with years of abuse from the men in their community. Their choices are to stay and fight or leave forever because doing nothing is not an option. Fantastic, really intense film, beautifully acted, kind of a one set almost um, production, but definitely one worth watching. Uh, then we have EO, which is a New York Times critic pick and also um, nominated for Best International Film. This film's from Poland. It's a beautiful and unconventional film about a former circus donkey named EO based on the sound that he makes. Um, and he journeys across Europe. And the, the story is kind of exhilarating. It's a little bit absurd, somewhat strange, sometimes terrifying. It's just, the film will, is guaranteed to steal your heart. How do you so, spell that? EO. Okay. The letters E and then O, like E-O, E-O. <laughs> Imagine well a donkey. <laughs> you like well that? Um, then we'll have uh, a special screening with Peace House on March 9th of She Said, which is about two New York Times journalists, about the two New York Times journalists who broke the story on Harvey Weinstein and the sexual abuse and assault that he perpetrated in Hollywood. Admission to that screening's free. And then we kind of round it all out with the Oscar-nominated short films, which is always a treat. We do it every year. We've done it for decades now. Um, I love short films. They are arguably the poetry of filmmaking, but they're rarely seen in a theatrical environment. You'll see them at film festivals. You may see occasionally some of them online, but to see them all together as a collective is sort of a rarity. So it's always a pleasure every year to get together the best of the best. And so each night will be a different screening, which sometimes is confusing for folks. So just make sure you read the fine print on our website. Um, but Friday night, we'll have the animated shorts. Saturday night, we'll have the documentary shorts. And then Sunday night, we'll have the live action shorts. And I have to say this year, normally it kind of skews towards one collection versus the other being the strongest. But I feel like all of them are really, really incredible um, this year. So I'd encourage folks to come all nights. Uh, they are definitely for mature audiences. Um, I know sometimes we get children showing up to animated shorts. The first part of the collection um, would be for kind of all ages, but then towards the end, and there'll be title cards and we'll make announcements um, are definitely uh, for an adult audience. So just again, uh, we will caveat mTOR, uh, buyer beware. We will have um, a list of all the shorts that are available on our website so people can make their own decision about who in their family they'd like to, to bring with them. But they are exceptional and, um, again, a real treat to bring those together. But you can go to parkcityfilm.org and check out all of those films, get tickets, see what's going on with the shorts. So um, with yeah, the I'm shorts, excited. Award season. With the shorts collections, what's the average length of a short and how many are in each collection approximately? <laughs> Um, so technically, to be a short film, it has to be um, less than 55 minutes. The documentary shorts are the longest collection, always. They're, they're around 40 minutes each, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit less. That particular program runs over two hours because we'll show all of the collections except for one called Stranger at the Gate, which we're actually showing as a special screening in April. Um, and then the other collections, the, the animated ones, are tend to be a little bit shorter, between 20, and 20, I'm sorry, 10 to 20 minutes long. So that'll probably be like an hour and a half program, and that live action's probably just under two hours. So it ranges. We post the, the run times on all of the films and the order that they'll be shown in. Okay. So, you know, the great thing with shorts, you can pop out during the, uh, the credits, get some more snacks, come back in, um, you have a little more flexibility than in just a regular feature film. And then for people who have teenagers who are trying to figure out whether their kids are going to, it's going to be appropriate for a kid to see one short or another. They can see trailers and make their own decisions, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. And there definitely are warnings um, on the films that are 
um, perhaps for an older audience. And it's mostly, I would say, teenagers would probably be okay, depending on your, as a parent, um, what you decide is appropriate for your teenager. I would say, you know, the 10, the 10 year old set, the elementary school set and younger, um, some of them might be a little complicated, but okay. I watch them with my 10 year old and, and she loves them. She's, you know, bound by duty to watch these films with her mom, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's gonna be a, a lot of Academy Award nominated films being previewed. Just a reminder, the Academy Awards are Sunday, March 12th, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Jimmy Kimmel is hosting. Uh, let's get back in our last couple of minutes, back to the drama category, your seat survey. Yes, well, two things. One, I want to thank all the amazing volunteers, 100 plus, um, who helped us out with the Sundance Film Festival concessions operation. We're back in action. It's our biggest fundraiser of the year, so huge thanks to them. We could not have done it without them. Um, and then, yes, new seats. So we had over 375 people uh, take our survey of our seats, and they have voted on the green and blue fabric with the ergonomic seat cushion. So for those of you that voted for that, yay. Thank you for uh, prevailing and picking that selected seat. Um, and just thanks to everyone for participating. It's really exciting to be able to replace these seats after 20 years. Um, it is long overdue. Uh, thanks to the restaurant tax, Summit County Restaurant Tax, Utah Division of Arts and Museums, and Park City Municipal, we're finally able to make it happen. And um, looking forward to mid-May is when the project, the installation should be happening. So we'll have some announcements about the celebration and reopening in June. But you can still check out the seats if you want to see what's coming. They're sitting outside the Park City Film Office on the third floor. Um, but they're fantastic. It's really exciting to, to see just a little update on the Jim Santee Auditorium and um, upgrading the, the sight lines as well. So it'll be an, an exceptional experience when it's all put together. So the green and blue ergonomic, was that the runaway favorite or was it close? Oh no, it was a runaway favorite. Hands down, it won. The second line was the blue seat with kind of a gray um, plastic to it. And then last place, um, was still an, a great choice, but the last place was the orange and green seat. I think it was a little too vibrant for some folks, is what we heard. But the green and blue is nice because it's it kind of adds some brightness to the theater, but then it also, because it's got um, some complexity to it, if someone spills a glass of red wine, perhaps, maybe, um, you'd be able to, <laughs> the stain wouldn't look so obvious and it'd be easy to clean. So we are looking for durability as well as um, aesthetics and yeah. the practicality There's of being so you know, a multi-use space. It. Absolutely, absolutely. All so, right, but it was fun to have you. people participate. So, thank you very much, parkcityfilm.org, for movies. Okay, great. Have a good day. You too. That was Katie Wang, film director for Park City Film.